Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, the other day, I was, it was yesterday, I was talking to my wife about what I would possibly say for this sermon. And I said, well, I might start off by saying, you know, these are really tricky parables. And she's like, you always have your little preamble, don't you, about, about these things. I said, I can't help it. This is tough. <laughs> this, is, this is tough. We've got some new people here today, and I don't want to just tell them all the terrible things about be watchful because you don't want to be the one stuck outside when the bridegroom comes. But those are our texts for today, and they're worthwhile, right? You might be wondering on your, uh, on, your, uh, on the handouts that we have for you, it says the last Sunday of the church year. Uh, liturgically, we have this be um, the same text every year because the last, the last Sunday should remind us of the last day. And we say it's the last Sunday of the church year because where does the church year start? But in Advent, right? We have Advent starting next week, preparing for Christmas, but also preparing for the coming of Christ at the end of time. And some of you all have already heard this before, but I'll say it again. I just think it's very interesting. My, my mom called me the other day and she said, your grandma, who is Baptist, um, she's watching all these preachers on TV and what they're talking about is the end times. Do you ever preach about that? I said, oh yeah, oh yeah, I preach about that. In fact, I have a whole season where I'll be mentioning these things, right? Advent, the last the last Sunday of the church year, because it helps to know what's coming, right? Um, I won't go into all the specifics. It's going to be a great and glorious day for all of those who are in Christ. But for those who are not in Christ, it will be a sad day indeed for them, right? But we're not going to talk necessarily about those on the outside, but those on the inside of the church. Because this parable from Matthew 25, where Jesus, uh, he compares the kingdom of heaven to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, when they took their lamps, took no oil, but with the wise, they took flasks of oil. We have to read this very carefully. Uh, where I want to begin is if, if it helps you to have your text out in front of you with, with the words so you can kind of follow along, it might get a little confusing. So yeah, if you want to hold open and see what Jesus is saying, and I can say, look back at verse 3, look back at verse 5, or what have you, verse 12, you know, might help. That's up to you if you want to do it or not. But the thing is, is that we have to understand that this is probably strange to us. Why are there virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come? And why is he taking so long? And what's going on here? Don't people just get married and then you go have a party? Right? That's kind of how we do it, right? But what happened in the ancient world, in the Jewish custom, was that when a man and a woman would get married, they would be betrothed. Okay. The betrothal would take place, um, they, it would take place privately between the couple and their parents. And then 
the bride would go back to her father's house and wait. And the bridegroom would go back to his house and he would get everything prepared. He would prepare everything to go and get his bride and bring her into his home so they could consummate the marriage and have a big, big feast that lasted for days on days on days, right? That might make a little more sense with what's going on here, right? That the betrothal has taken place, the marriage has taken place. And with parables, we have to understand that certain things break down over time, so not all of this is going to exactly line up one-to-one, so just bear with me on that, but I'll do my best to make this as succinct and as straightforward as I can to help you understand exactly what Jesus is trying to say here. If this is going off of the Jewish custom of the betrothal, and the betrothal for us, like I said, it wouldn't make sense because betrothal for us is just getting engaged and saying that you're going to get, you're going to, uh, get married at some point in the future, right? But the betrothal has taken place. The comparison between these things is that this is talking about the last days, right? What's happening here is that the betrothal has already taken place between Christ and his church, his bride. When he gave himself completely and fully on the cross to die, when he died for our sins, for the sins of the world, he was betrothed to his church. When he rose from the dead, he showed that he is the true bridegroom to come. And yet, he ascended into heaven to go and prepare a place for us, right? Kind of matches up now, doesn't it? The bridegroom has gone. The bride waits for, his, for their bride to come. For their bridegroom to come, sorry. Bridegroom, bride, these things get a little confusing sometimes. The bride is waiting for her groom to come and to get her and to bring her into the home that they will share for all eternity, right? We are waiting for the last day when Jesus will come back and when Jesus will wipe away all of the sin, all of the death, all of the horrible things in this world and bring his chosen bride with him to live forever and to feast forever. In the Jewish custom, they probably feasted for seven days or so, six or seven days, 10 days if you were really rich probably. We will be feasting and being in the marriage feast and banquet for all eternity. We will never cease to sing praises and thanks to our God for what he has done through Jesus Christ. So we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we have to know what it means to wait, right? Isn't it a bit scandalous, at least to the world, that our bridegroom is delayed? We keep saying, he's coming, he's coming. Any day now, he will be here. And a day passes and the unbelieving world says, when? And therefore tempts us to think, well, if we don't think he's not coming at all, we may think like some other uh, servants in the parable in uh, Matthew 24, where Jesus says, concerning the, 
That day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. He says, um, <laughs> he says, stay awake, for you do not know. Oh, where am I trying to find this? He basically, oh yes. He says, the servants see that their master is delayed. And blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, uh, taking care of everything, right? But if that wicked, but if that wicked, but if that, if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunken, with, with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We sometimes may be tempted to say, he's delayed, so maybe I can sneak in a little more sin, right? I can sneak in that extra drink. I can sneak in that extra glance, right? That extra word, that extra deed. And it's one of those things we have to be mindful that God could come back, Christ could come back at any time, and we don't want to be caught not being prepared. So we see in our parable today, though, Matthew 25, that there are five who wait, that there are ten who wait. Five were five, and five, five were foolish, and five were wise. Excuse me. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps, and as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. We'll stop here. What does that mean? They became drowsy and slept. This is a difficult parable because the more that I look at it, the more I find people that disagree on these things. What does it mean to sleep? Some have seen this as spiritual sleep. We become complacent. We become idle and say, oh, I can just kind of close my eyes for a bit and not worry about the things that I have to do. That would make sense. I like to think of this, though, as death. Because we as Christians believe that, well, I mean, you can see it as either spiritual sleep or death, but death kind of makes sense because, well, the thing is, is that we all sleep. To say that the wise even sleep spiritually would mean maybe that Jesus allows certain complacency to take place when he tells us over and over and over again, be ready, watch, take heed to not be caught unaware. But we see here that they all become drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those... Then all those, those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. I want you all to pay attention, though, that I'm going to keep going back to verse 3. The foolish took their lamps, and there was no oil. They had nothing. You might have heard this before, that they had some, but they didn't have extra, they didn't have enough, right? And that their lamps were burning this entire time, it makes more sense, though, to believe that they didn't light their lamps until the end, until the bridegroom came. 
they waited in darkness, right? They waited for him to come. Because if they had lit their lamps when they had absolutely no oil at all, their lamps would have already gone out. They wouldn't have lasted for the long time the bridegroom was, was, uh, was delayed. So we see here that the oil in the flasks for the wise, are the, it's, it's simply put into their lamps and the lamps are lit. The Greek word there for trim their lamps uh, actually means to adorn. I know I'm kind of getting deep here, but it means to adorn and to adorn with light. Right? You make it ready to light and to use. What does all this mean? Right? That the foolish say, give us some of your oil, and the wise say, there will not be enough for us and for you. Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. We have to understand what is what. What is the flame of the lamp? The flame of the lamp is faith in its works. Right? That in the end... We will be shown for all of the good things that we have done in faith, right? We do good things now by faith through the power of Christ that he gives us. And not everybody sees all these things. But on the last day, all those things will be made known, right? All the things that have been done, all the tiny little things, all the good words you said to somebody, all the small things you did for other people, that you may know, I like to say it this way, you may know how great your grandparents were. Other people might not, but you might know how they said kind words to you, how, how they did great things for you that nobody else saw, but everybody else will see those things on that last day. They will say, hey, I know how great your grandparents were because I can now see it, right? So the flame of the lamp is faith in its works, because works without faith profit you nothing, right? But faith without works, as we know from James, is dead. They both go hand in hand together. So the flame of the lamp is faith in its works. The oil is the grace and the power of Christ in his word. So the flame of the lamp cannot burn without the grace that God grants us. Our faith is nothing without God's grace. And the lamp is the outward forms of Christianity. So that means, that is to say, that those who were foolish have all the forms of Christianity. They look like a Christian. They sound like a Christian, right? They do the things of a Christian, but inside, there is no grace. There is no faith. There's nothing. They're empty. This is a warning to all of us. Because what happens is the foolish are as if they know the bridegroom is coming. These are Christians who are baptized and who have sat in church and heard over and over again, the bridegroom is coming. He's coming. Prepare, prepare, be ready. Receive the grace of the Lord. Hear God's word. Be given his good things so that you will make it. And yet they say, no, thank you. On the inside. They're hypocrites. And they're the best kind of hypocrites, right? There are those hypocrites that you catch in the act of doing what they shouldn't do, and they always talk about not doing it. 
But then there are those who do everything they're supposed to do, but on the inside, they do not believe that God is the one who's doing it. They say, basically, they are as as uh, as St. Paul says in Timothy, having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. You must have both of them. You must have both the form of godliness and the power of God because one without the other is nothing, right? So, it's a lot to lay out there, but we need to get these things straight. The key verse is verse three. The foolish took their lamps with no oil at all. So that when the bridegroom does come, they're caught unaware. The sleep they sleep in verse 5 is a sleep of, of, is a sleep of reassurance. They think they've done all that needs to be done, right? And the wise are right. They are justified in this. They have the oil that they need. They have the grace that they need. They have the faith in Christ that they need to make it to the last day. But the foolish sleep foolishly because they're empty. And even though they've been told over and over and over again, fill yourselves up, be filled with the grace of God, they refuse to do so, and then they sleep in false, in, in, in a false sense of false sense of security. So that when they rise when the cry comes that the bridegroom is coming, they act even more foolishly and say to the wise, give us some of your grace. Give us some of your faith. But every believer has no more of spiritual grace and power than he needs for himself. It is impossible to divide this grace. This kind of strikes to the heart of the um, Roman Catholic doctrine of the saints. Uh, it's called it's called it's called excuse me it's called excuse me supererogation. That's a big word that basically means the merits of the saints are good for you too. The Roman Catholic doctrine that says, pray to Saint Mary and she will grant you some of her grace. That's not how this works. You only have enough for yourself. God supplies you with all that you need. And so, it seems ironic that if it is grace and faith that the wise would say, we don't have enough for us, but go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. This is a parable, remember? So there are certain things that have to carry over. You cannot buy grace. You cannot buy faith. But what they are saying is that in the comparison, the oil must be obtained. And the only way to, to obtain grace and faith is to go where it is promised to be, in God's word, in the proclamation of God's word, in his sacraments. So no doubt those people who are foolish will go and say, give us some of your grace. And the people who are wise will say, go see if there's anybody left at the church to give it to you. And sadly, it will be too late. They will have heard their entire lives, be filled with God's grace, receive the grace of God, and yet they refuse. 
so that while they go to obtain the grace that they need to go into the banquet, the bridegroom comes, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut, not to be opened at all again. Grace is vast in its extent, but it has its, but it, but it has its, its limits. The door that once, that once welcomed in, that, that once, that, that once, that once welcomed in King David, even though he, even though he, even though he committed adultery and committed murder to cover it up, yet was he repentant and faithful and forgiven of his sin. The door that, that, that welcomed in Peter after he denied Christ and came back to faith, that door has been open for a long, long time. But one day it will be shut. And that is the warning. Because those who are caught outside at the end will come and again act like fools and say, Lord, Lord, let us in. Please open to us. They are demanding that they be let in to the banquet hall. They who shunned the grace that required the entry now demand to come in. It's almost as if it's like the rich man when he was talking to Abraham while he was suffering. And Abraham said, I'm not going to send Lazarus back because your brothers should know that the law and the prophets Speak about salvation. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. And the rich man says, No, Father Abraham, for if someone goes back from the dead, then they will believe. And Abraham says, Truly I tell you that if they do not believe the law and the prophets, even when someone rises from the dead, they won't even believe him. Foolishness makes no sense. right? Foolishness is obstinate. Foolishness is prideful. So we are called to be wise. We are called to be prudent. We are called to, to be sensible. Hear the word of God and what it has to say to you. Hear that the law condemns you as a sinner. And hear that Christ forgives that sin by his blood. Receive his grace. Be washed in the waters of baptism. Receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be filled with his grace in the place where he offers it. Be ready. Be watchful. Be prepared according to his grace. For to be caught outside when the bridegroom comes and goes, and to then go and say, Lord, Lord, open to us, and have him say, I don't know who you are. That would be truly a devastating thing. But one that would be warranted. 
if you shun God's grace. For Christ to look out through the little door hole and look out and see these people demanding to be let in without any flames to light their face so he can see who they are, the flames of faith and love spurned on by his grace. He won't know who you are. And he will say, not only do I not know you, but I have no relation to you and you have no relation to me. So Jesus somberly tells us, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Do not be foolish. Listen to God's word. Folly, like I said, doesn't make sense. And the world is full of it. So if you, it doesn't make sense to sit in church all the time, hearing God's word and not believe it, but it happens. And since I can't tell people's hearts, since I can't be like a surgeon and only go to certain people and say, you really need to hear this because I think you're one of the foolish ones, I have to be careful and be preaching this to all people, lest those once wise will think, I don't need to watch anymore. I don't need to be careful. I don't need to mind my soul. I don't need to be careful about who I hang out with. I don't need to be careful about what I say. I don't need to be careful about what I drink or what I look at on the internet. I don't have to be careful about all these things. Be watchful. Guard yourselves by the power of Christ. For your adversary, the devil, is lurking around, prowling like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he will devour. And the only way to resist him is firm in your faith, in Christ. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And we should encourage one another and build one another up in these words. We should come to church and bring others to church to hear of these words of grace and salvation and mercy and also rebuke and encouragement away from sin. In this place and in all places where the word is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly given, this here is a, 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 this here is a rehearsal it is, a, it is a rehearsal dinner for the banquet feast that is to come. That what we partake of here in this place is a foretaste of what we will have for all eternity. That when the bridegroom comes, he will take those who belong to him and they will do exactly what we do here every Sunday. We will eat and we will drink and we will give thanks and praise to God for what he has done by granting us salvation when we did not deserve it, by dying for us when we should be the ones who die. We come and we fill up our lamps because we know that in this place is God's grace given for us. And we stay awake 
And even if we do fall asleep in death, we will be prepared. We will be, we will be, we will be ready to go with our bridegroom when he comes. So stay awake until he comes. And if you fall asleep in death, fall asleep in faith and in his grace all the while trusting that he will bring you with him to that feast. We don't know the time of the last day, so we must watch. We must be careful. We must examine ourselves according to the Ten Commandments, lest we think that we are good enough by ourselves. Be ever ready. Be ever rich in God's grace so that when the day and the hour come, there, be, there may be no question as to your being received into his feast. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.